Welcome to another episode of the Zenpreneur Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want more money and less stress. The Zenpreneur Podcast is hosted by serial entrepreneur and high-performance coach Mario Lanzarotti. Listen as Mario and his inspiring guests share the insights, strategies, and habits that allow you to grow your business with peace of mind so you can enjoy more wealth and freedom. Learn how to build the mindset and habits you need to find the balance between a successful business and a thriving personal life. And now, here is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Hello and welcome, my friends. This is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Welcome to the Zenpreneur Podcast. I'm excited because today I get to interview a wonderful human being. Her name is Tina Greenbaum. She's the founder and CEO of Mastery Under Pressure, a management coaching program for high-performing executives who need to refine and master their interpersonal and interdepartmental skills. Mastery Under Pressure gives CEOs and senior level managers the additional professional and personal tools to not only excel, but to empower their teams and their associates. As a licensed psychotherapist and professional sports psychology consultant, she gives high-performing executives and business owners the skills they need to work within any corporate culture. That has made Tina a sought-after speaker, a TEDx speaker, workshop leader, and a peak performance specialist. Now, I am super excited because Tina is going to help us level up through her presence, through her insights, and through the tools she's going to share with us. Tina, I'm excited. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mario. <laughs> Every time I hear that um, resume, it's really, oh, yeah, I've done all that. <laughs> I'll put some <laughs> stuff into this. It doesn't seem like that, right? Because, you know, you're going through your life and you're experiencing moment to moment. And oftentimes what I've seen is like, because I've done this work now over a decade, and I'm sure you have done that for even longer than that, it seems normal. It's like, oh, you know, it's just how you live life. But for other people, it's a big thing. And so I'm curious to learn a little bit about your backstory, because usually people don't wake up one day and just say, you know what, I want to better myself and dedicate myself so I can make a difference in the world and help other people. How did you get to doing what you're doing today, Tina? Well, I think one of the things that um, I remember years ago doing a conference and the leader asked how many times, it was actually on compassionate counseling, I think it was. And he asked, how old were you when you started to help people? We all went <laughs> like this big, you know, so it's just been my nature that I had a very wise mother my, and my mother knew a lot and she was never wrong about people, which was just kind of a very scary thing. But I inherited hmm. a lot of her traits and a lot of her wisdom. And it, I always say that things just kind of come to me. I don't know how or why, but I feel like I've been given a lot of gifts. And so I've always been a helper person. You know, when I was in high school, I was doing counseling for, I mean, camp counseling, camp counseling for um, underprivileged kids, for kids with polio. And so that's just kind of been my history. And I always wanted to be a teacher. That was kind of the thing. Um, and by when I was growing up, you were either a nurse or a teacher, <laughs> many of the women. Mm -hmm. and But the teaching was, felt like the right profession for me. And then when I got into the classroom, I hated it. I mean, like I really hated mm -hmm. it. I couldn't understand all those years I wanted to teach, 
well, the truth is I really love teaching. I just didn't like teaching science and biology. I was not a very good, um, you know, easel kind of design maker. And a therapist and a, a social worker and a psychologist would walk in and they would take the kids out and they'd start talking about their families. And I said, I think I've got the wrong piece. So I went back to school and I got my master's in social work and I wanted to be a psychotherapist. And I always loved business, but organizational development for me felt like I couldn't really get to the source of what was really going on with somebody. And as a psychotherapist, I feel like I have permission and training to get to places that um, I couldn't do otherwise. And so I started my profession as a, as a psychotherapist. My first job was working with women with, in, with eating disorders. And in my TEDx talk, I do tell my story about how I would just sit and listen to these young women and, and I'd go, I, I hear you, I don't feel you. And if I don't feel you, mm. you're not going to get really well. And so that led me into all this mind-body kinds of experiences. The first one I had was at a yoga class. And I said, oh, my God, that's Shavasana. If I could get those young women to do this, maybe they wouldn't need their eating disorder. Because what I learned was that all addictions, at least in my experience, are anxiety-based. And they're always about feelings that mm. you don't want to feel. And so that question, and, and I knew that I needed to get under the, un, the the conscious mind because everything that was happening was in the unconscious. So my whole career is really about how do I help you experience yourself differently because the body gets triggered before the mind. The mind might trigger the, the experience, but the body gets triggered. And then nanoseconds later, we say, oh, yeah, that. Well, we can't talk just that. And so we could talk and talk and talk, but so just kind of realizing and experiencing myself doing a tremendous amount of work on my, on myself as the guinea pig, um, I, I started to kind of understand kind of how we're put together and that became very magical mm. in, in helping people. So it's a short, mm. <laughs> you know, a short piece for a pretty long <laughs> career at this point, I've been doing this for 40 years, which yeah. is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think, I and think then, you're doing then, incredibly work, important work. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it. It still feels and, like it. And the more I, I, the more masterful actually the work becomes, the more excited I am about it because it becomes in a way more simple. Mm. That makes sense. Ooh, hold on, hold on. This is great. This is great. <laughs> Because I think with that, you're also, this is going to give us a lot to talk about. And with that, I feel like you're already shattering a huge paradigm. Because uh, at least in my experience, there was this idea to get to a master-like level of living life. It requires incredible ongoing effort and difficulty and hardship and so it was one of the reasons why I was like, ah, hey, you know what? I'm good here at this level. I don't want to go even higher because this is more stress, more things to do. And now you're saying the more masterful you become, the more simpler life gets. And that has sparked my curiosity. Now, please elaborate. Why do you say that? There are only so many themes in the human experience. 
betrayal, you know, abandonment, loss. And once you understand these concepts, basically, there's only so many themes where there's an infinite variation of them, Mario. You know, so you and I may talk a lot about the same thing, but your experience is different than mine. Your history is different than mine. Mm. But when we get down to the essence, it's all the same, same story. Oh. So once you become familiar with the story and where people are going and where it's likely to take you, I would never say this to a client, but it's like a lot of times it's like, you don't even need to speak because I already, I already know where you're going. And so that's where the intuition really kind of jumps in because it just gives me that information, you know, just go here, go there. And mm. I like really complex human conditions because they challenge me. They, they continue to challenge me. But at the bottom line, we're all humans. We all, we're all generated by the same, the same desires. You know, we all want to love and be loved. You know, the, the yeah. unconscious gives us all, the only information it gives us and the only behaviors it gives us are things that have a positive intent. So even these crazy people that are doing just crazy, crazy things in the world, killing people and harm in their psyche, they're doing something that has yeah. a positive intent. Yeah. And so my, my TED talk was about befriend your inner enemy. You know, it's not your enemy. People always talk about, oh, you know, the sabotage and I do this and I do that. And it's like, yeah, but you do it for a reason. You do it for a good reason. Yes. And so once we just really begin to understand human nature at that level, and that's why, you know, at this point in my career, I, I want to help so many more people because sitting one to one is inefficient. It's just one person at a time where I'm repeating mm. a lot of the same things that I could repeat to a, a larger audience. And hopefully more people would get the same message, you know, and then be yeah. able to apply it to themselves. Yeah. So I, wa I want to talk about this philosophy of befriending your inner enemy because i'm totally in alignment with that because you know my tedx talk uh i i asked people you know what if self-doubt is the best thing that ever happened to you and i pos position it in that way specifically because people are like what what do you mean self-doubt is definitely not the best thing that ever happened to me and so it all aligns with your philosophy and can you elaborate now first of all what is this idea that people have that they have some sort of an enemy within themselves and then maybe speak a little bit into how most high performers approach this, how it affects them and then why high performers should befriend their inner enemy. So our mind gives us information and thoughts all the time. Just over and over. I don't know. I don't know. There's some statistic about how many thousands of thoughts are given up. And, you know, we get, we in, in yoga, they call it some scars, you know, the, the things that just keep showing up, showing up. Well, when we're children, we have worlds around us of things that we cannot control. So we might have parents that are arguing or we might have been pulled from schools that we want or we may be we may be bullied or all kinds of things. So kids don't have necessarily the that cognitive concept to be able to figure out, well, this is happening. Yeah. This. So what do kids do is they, they blame themselves. It must be me. 
you know, if my parents are arguing and if I were just better, if I were a little more perfect, mm. if I were if I were this, if I were that, then maybe this would be better. And this is just how we go. The interesting thing about also about children, they have magical thinking. So a lot of times they think, if I think it, it's going to be so. So I can't yeah. really hate my parents and wish they were dead. Because if anything uh-huh. happened to them, then I would be so it's not really, couldn't be my parents, it must be me. So we grow up with these ideas of blaming ourselves, really, for a lot of the bad things that happen to us, where I do believe that children really are the only real victims. You know, once we reach a certain age, no matter really what your background is, you do have, in my opinion, we have the responsibility as best we can. Now, again, there's so many things that are, work against people and they you know, they can't, but for the most part, as we grow, we can't continue to blame our parents. So we have to start to take responsibility. How did this happen? So now we have this part of us that's really bad at us. Every time we do something, and I start my talk that way, you know, do you ever have the same issues that just show up over and over and over? You'd love to be able to change them, but you just don't know how. So the, the most natural thing that comes up is the way that we're programmed. You know, from our environment, from our teachers, from schools, from the media, from so we grow up with a lot of times a lot of really crazy ideas about who we are and why we're doing things and what our motives are. And but if we come down to this this concept again of going back to childhood, all behavior has a positive intent. I may do crazy things. I may, you know, be a drug you know, addict or an out drink alcohol. Well, what am I, what am I trying to cover? What is it that I don't want to feel? And so we end up with all these different behaviors that are supposed answers to things that we just don't really understand about ourselves. And there it becomes that huge gap. You know, here is really who I am. And this is kind of what I'm doing. We have this misalignment. Mm-hmm. And things just are not working. So if we come back to certain basic principles about human nature, again, I'm going to come back again to all that behavior as a positive intent. Why do I do this? How did I create this pattern? The other thing is that people think that we have so many patterns. Oh, I couldn't possibly begin to start to do this work, which is kind of what you were saying. You know, like, what's the work? I don't know. It's too much. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. you only have so a few patterns that just keep showing up over and over and over and over again. And when you get down to it and you start to work with people and you get to ask them, you know, what are the, what are the things that just get in your way? We're not going to really talk about right at this moment, all the wonderful things that you do, because we don't want to mess with that. They're good. We just want to help you with those few things that just keep keeping you those obstacles that keep you from moving forward. And once we can, begin to start to name them and identify them. And then this is where the body work comes in for me. You know, it's, um, so I don't like to be controlled. I don't think anybody really likes to be controlled. I really don't like it. <laughs> and one of the reasons I hated being in that classroom is I couldn't stand the, the bells that would ring that would tell me when I could go to the restroom or you know, could tell me when I could eat lunch or could tell me, no, I haven't worked for anybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I've worked with people for many, many years, but I haven't worked for anybody. Mm. 
in my book. Mm. You know, once I got started, that was it. I was, I've been on my own. So I don't like to be controlled. And yet when I feel like I'm being pushed and controlled, it kind of shows up right here, right in my neck and my shoulders. Other people may have it in different places. And again, that's part of the discovery. But as soon as I feel yeah. this, I start looking around. All right. Where do I feel out of control? You know, why is this anxiety showing up? Okay, because anxiety and control are in relationship to one another. So mm -hmm. the less control we have, the more anxious we become. So the first question I always ask myself is where, you know, where am I in control? Where am I out of control? What's happening here? And as soon as I can name it, where's it coming from? Is it coming from an external source or am I putting it on myself? Okay, now I've got a shortcut. <laughs> oh, that person wanted me to do something and the time is just, you know, getting away from me and I'm, I'm well, okay, now I can go back and problem solve. You know, do I really have to do that? You know, what's my priority? So this just, it just becomes patterns that you begin, better patterns that work better for you, that you can begin to start to replace some of this older story and through now coming into peak performance and really understanding that we're changing the neural pathways. When I started, mm. you know, 40 years ago, we didn't have this language, but we do now. And we have, you know, kind of uh, machines that can look at our brains and see what lights up and, and actually see that we're creating new habits, create new neural pathways. Yeah. They take 30 to 40 days to start over and over and over and over and over again. So when it comes down to peak performance, so the things that I teach in my program is mastery. It's called mastery under pressure. So I teach focus. When are we in focus? When are we out of focus? Laser focus is required for certain jobs, certain things. And then that really wide focus of just letting the mind kind of wander and and the brain will do a lot of the work for us. And then coming back to laser focus. So this has a lot to do with peak performance and getting into the state of flow. That there's certain neurochemicals that are given off for each part of this process, right? It's focus and then relaxation. How to get into that deep state of mm -hmm. relaxation. When I talked about the yoga class, it's actually initiating the relaxation response so that I can change my nervous system in an instant. Because as soon as I get triggered, okay, the sympathetic nervous system goes off, right? And then the hormones start running and, and then the brain. And then most importantly for people who need their minds and particularly in high performance, okay, your brain goes off. Okay, you can't think clearly. So how do, how do we get that sympathetic nervous system quiet down just like that? And then, mm. um, and then I go into the thoughts and what I call... Um, Rather than positive thinking, because I, I, a lot of times my, I, my relationship with positive, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars. Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm, really? Again, that little voice right behind you, you say, you got to be kidding. That's not really going to happen. And it won't happen. So I like to use productive thinking. Do my thoughts produce something useful for me? So as I begin to start to, to raise my level of awareness, how am I talking to myself, right? And then what, how quickly can I change it? Can I tweak it into, because I, I know that if I could go down that path, 
being really mad at myself and really hating myself, I'm just going to go down this mm. spiral. No. And then I'm down in the hole and I'm not solving anything. So if yeah. I can use that term that um, it's a lot of overused now, but mindfulness is an ancient practice. Okay. Mindfulness is being aware in the present moment without judgment. Okay. So it's the without judgment that makes the difference. Yeah. So I can start to, oh, this is how I'm thinking. This is what's going on. Is this produce something useful for me? No. Okay. Taking, okay. What do I need to do to shift it and change it so that I can learn something from it or move forward? So, and then I, I work with uh, visualization. Okay. Great athletes, great performers. We talked about this, about our, you know, our TED Talks and your pre-performance you know, kind of method and what I did and what other people may do, mm -hmm. but really visualizing how I want to be, the energy that I want, you know, just before here, okay, I did my own meditation. How do I want to be in this, in this podcast? How do I want to be with you? And then lastly, I work with fear. <laughs> um, and there's two wonderful sayings that I have about fear. One is the only way past it is through it. And the other one is it's the only thing that gets smaller as you get closer. <laughs> and so, mm. so this is, and, and yeah. I, I, I do yeah. believe, you know, I, and I didn't make all this stuff up. I put, I just put it together through my own lens and my own training, but the stuff yeah. is magical. It yeah. really is. It truly and is. With those. It really is. Concepts, Life changes. Mm. It just has I want to ask better. you, you, you dropped a lot of wisdom and a lot of practical insights that I think when applied can really help you make quantum leaps forward in your life. And, you know, let's talk about this, the patterns for a moment, because I think this is a big conversation that a lot of high performers are completely unaware of. And it goes to really understand that these patterns, they shape your entire destiny. If you do not take, become aware of them and you actually can consciously look at where is my life leading and how do I feel about the way, uh, where it's leading and, you know, is this in alignment with what I truly want? And so for me, I remember very distinctively when I was younger, um, I was in, First grade, second grade, um, we were playing outside. We were playing ball. Um, I brought the ball to school and we were playing, having fun, little kids. And then all of a sudden, one of the girls uh, stopped the game. She picked up the ball, looked at me, and we were about, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 kids outside on the schoolyard. She screamed over and she's like, Mario, that's against the rules. You cannot do that. And in that moment, I was petrified. I was so, I felt so ashamed because the entire schoolyard was looking at me while she was telling me that I did made a mistake and it was so charged. And I will never forget that because after that incident, my life became about proving myself and it was everywhere in my life. It was just, I had to be the best. I had to be the fastest. I had to be the best looking. I had to be the smartest, the most extravagant. I always had to find a way for me to be the best. And that just sort of became my identity. And I never really questioned it. I just thought, you know, that's just who I am. And so 
it helped me to build a lot of success in societal's understanding of what success looks like. Yet what it did on the inside, it, it was killing me because I ended up in chronic back pain, constant pressure that I put on myself that left me in debilitating pain pretty much 24 seven. Um, I became severely depressed and I contemplated suicide for about two weeks on a daily basis. And nobody knew about this because I was a phenomenal actor. I was like, I'm not gonna show this to anybody in the world because if I did, it would, it would contradict this whole idea of I gotta prove myself. So I cannot be vulnerable and authentic. And so it went to the point where I had a complete breakdown and I then found Tony Robbins and Les Brown on YouTube, which turned my life around. But it was that pattern that I found so strongly and I looked at how it was playing out in my relationships by me never truly being fully authentic and fully vulnerable because it would require me to show you know, a sense of weakness, which then would, again, contradict my idea of I got to be number one, I got to be the best, I got to prove myself. And so I worked through this pattern in many different ways and many different modalities. And now when it comes up to, show, to say hello, I know how to respond to it. I don't fight it, not at all. I don't go like, oh, this thing again. I was like, oh, hello, ego. Hi, did you come to say hello today? I was like, what's okay? How does it show up for you? How do you know it like that quickly? How does it show up? In relationships, when I feel a sense of intimidation, especially then, like when I hear other men talk about their successes, I can see physically they're stronger. I get this in immediate sense of intimidation and I get the sense of like, I'm shrinking. And then I get this immediate sense of like, mm, like, mm, like I'm fighting. It's like, no, this is me. And I could hear that and I could feel that. And I was like, ah, hello. Sometimes Hello. I'm unconscious and I don't, you know, I go through the whole thing, but other, but many other times I'm like, oh, you know, while I can have a conversation, I can regulate myself. Like I deepen my exhales. Like I can, when I'm finished talking, I go and I rub my chest and I do this and other people don't notice it. They don't pick it up. So it's not even weird. And, you know, then I, and I, my mantra is I am safe. I am safe. I am safe. And I can notice my sense. And then depending on who I'm talking to, that's what you said about the only way through uh, to face fear is through it. Often what I've done in the past and still do today, I bring it up. I said, you know what? What's interesting right now, what's coming up is an old program of mine that is very intimidated when you share what you just shared. And there's a sense of me wanting to prove myself and wanting to just tell you how great of a person I am. And, you know, I feel that we have a good enough connection for me to bring this up. And when I do this, it creates magic because the people are like, wow, who are you to even speak so openly and vulnerably? I have that too. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And so I always say, you know, the, the, the best way to, to dissipate these kinds of fears, like especially shame and, uh, and, and guilt is to bring them into the, in, into the loving light where you are safe enough to actually do this. Cause if you're not, it might cause havoc with other people, but it helped me tremendously. Okay, so this is so beautiful, right? Because you demonstrate, right, the work. People ask me all the time, what's the work? <laughs> the work <laughs> is um, 
you know, taking the time to become aware, right? We can't do anything if we don't have that level of awareness. So we have to be very yeah. kind to ourselves to be allow this material really to kind of show up and not kind of respond in that same old way, right? Because if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always gotten. So why not try something exactly. different? Whatever, whatever that difference is, it can only be one little tiny little degree, which is going to take you in a yeah. completely different direction. Okay. Yeah. So the other thing that I, I also want to have people to know is to have a lot of respect for that part of us that tries to make us safe. Number one. And number two, that part of us is not going to give up so easily. And that's why this work takes. <laughs> that's why it's not yeah. magic. It's magical. Yeah. You know, when you have the experience and you get to the place where you are, right? But it's not magic. It's a negotiation mm. between this child part of you. I've, you know, I've kept you safe. Look at all that success you have. You know, I don't know if I could trust this new you, you know, to mm. do something completely different. So we have to be very kind to that part of us and have really conversations. Yeah. Let me just try this. <laughs> we can always go back here. Yeah. <laughs> we know that you know <laughs> your work really, really well. <laughs> you know, let, let, you, give, me, give me a little space, you know? Yeah. And so that's where the yeah. help comes in. And, and that's where having the support comes in because this stuff is very subtle. So this is the part where we do need frequently outside people to just lovingly say, Hey, you know, let's just look over here. Yeah. You know, because the stuff, as you yeah. said, I don't always know that it's happening. It's subtle. And, mm -hmm. but once we can step back enough, oh, I can see it there and then I can see it there and then I can see, Oh, that's the pattern that's keeping me so stuck. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I, you know, again, so I say it's simple once you have the knowledge, because then it just repeats and repeats and repeats, you know, and as soon as you know how your body just kind of does that, I mean, you did it, you, you know, you, you, you know, your chest gets tight and this happens and that happens. Oh, there it is. That's that pattern. Mm. That's that program. That's that mm. story. Okay. Now I have, yeah. I, I, now I can see it. I have that level of awareness. Okay. And now I can move. Right. So it's, it's, mm. it's a process that may be very uncomfortable in the beginning. A lot of times I say, it's like taking a pair of shoes and putting them on the wrong feet. And now you're expecting me to walk and, you know, I'm learning how to drive a car where you have to think mm -hmm. all the time, you know, it's the same kind of experience, but until, until it becomes a new habit and then you'll turn around. I have, um, I work with, tennis players a lot. My husband teaches tennis and we then mastery under pressure started out as tennis to the max where I was teaching these mental skills to tennis players. And then I lived in New York and I was teaching the athletes, not only athletes, but performers and um, all kinds of people. Um, but I lost my train of thought. Um, but anyway, it, the stuff, as you keep practicing, Oh, I, my, my gal who said, um, and I've known her for a while. She's a tennis player. She's a great, great player. But anytime she would get under, you know, she would start to compete, she would kind of fall apart and she would lose. So we had to kind of really kind of work on the story that she would tell herself 
about you know looking at the end of the of the match rather than being in the match at the time it being in the moment and also kind of what's happening to her body and then so the other day she just said um god i get out there and i competed i was relaxed she said it never happened to me before and and that's the way it happens it's just like all of a sudden you're just like oh that used to just kind of drive me crazy but mm. you know now it's like how mm. did that happen well, because of all the work that you put in over and over and over and over and over again, unconsciously, okay, things are beginning to shift. And that part of you that's holding on so tight is beginning to let go. And now you can start to be really who you are. Yeah. So, you know, when we think about the work that we do, Mary, that you do and that I do, and that so many of us that we know that are really, really great teachers and coaches, and um, we have a lot of work to do. Because this stuff is not obvious. It's just not obvious. And it's not taught from a really, really early age. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to, to also add here, because you spoke a lot about yoga. And oftentimes in, in the past, I would sort of mentally compare myself to those enlightened masters and yogis. It's like, when will I ever be like that? I mean, this, this, you know, they're just so in their center and so enlightened and so full of love. And I'm constantly judging myself and judging other people and, you know, being angry. And, and then I also realized that it's a lot easier to live in the mountains somewhere in the, uh, in India, uh, where you're sitting in a cave for eight hours a day and meditating compared to living in a capitalistic society where every human being is programmed to compete to be better and to um, look for what's wrong right because our default programming of the mind is look for what's wrong because it used to be the one who found out was uh, what's wrong the first is the one who survives because the the second or the third one might be eaten alive by a saber-toothed tiger or you know or whatever so this what you're saying is so true and it needs a deliberate, consistent practice for to help you to get to greater levels of mastery. And you are, and, and I feel like, and maybe we can speak a little bit about uh, into that as well. I feel one of the greatest challenges for high performers to put these things into uh, action, the things that we're talking about, and to just reach way higher levels of performance in a more sustainable way, are their social networks because. When you're going through this change, literally a part of you, go, it goes through an experience of death, right? That's where the term ego death comes from. And with that, often the connections that this identity had. And so sometimes you may notice you come back into your office and you don't connect with the people there at all. And you're like, I'm such a terrible human being, you know, or you go back to your family and you sit there at the table and you're like, I don't even have anything to say here. Like, this is so not me anymore. And so a lot of people, I feel they then stay stuck there and they sort of say, you know, and that maybe we bring in the people pleasers like, oh, you know, I just want everybody to be happy uh, so that they will like me. Um, but I feel people often get stuck at that point. And I see this in organizations with leaders. I've coached many, many, many people where they are holding on to a C or B team because they want to be nice. But the company is yeah. struggling because they're not hiring A players. So can you speak a little bit into this phenomena and maybe how you go about resolving that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's very real. 
And what you said, it, it happens in marriages and relationships. It happens with friends. You know, mm. who are my drinking buddies? You know, they were my smoking buddies. They were my coke. They were this buddy. They that buddy. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't have it out now, but I have a. I did a, a actually turned about seven year program with a, a guy who was a, it's called integrated kabbalistic healing. So it's the combination mm. of the Kabbalah, which Jewish mystical path and yoga and Buddhism and energy work and all this really fabulous stuff. And it was a, the first part of it was a three-year training and we would walk in every day and there was a, a quote and it talked about transformational work and that you don't want somebody to come along who's just going to say, oh, you're just great. You know, this is really nice because actually what we do is we slay you know, the ego, that, that part of us, that, that, that's, um, you know, it's the unhealthy part of us that's just kind of holding on and always wanting to please and, and, and that kind of, and so we end up with this tremendous loss. And again, with loss comes grief. So we sort of have to go through the process of grieving this old self in a way. And so once we can sort of understand what's happening, that we are, we're not better than these other people. We're just growing in a way that they have not decided to grow or that they're just not there yet, or they're just, they never, never be there. So I like that. I, I like to put it in sort of a perspective that the, the highest energy is the energy of love, right? And then underneath that, we have compassion and we have empathy. And then we kind of go down the scale where we get down to this negativity and this darkness and where, mm. where, where people live. So it's not like I judge anybody. I just, you know, sort of automatically kind of, you know, kind of place them in a place where, where are we in connection to one another? You know, and the reason that you and I, just for having this great conversation is because we've done this level of work that we can, we can communicate at this level. Right. So yeah. we have to be kind to the other people actually who haven't engaged in it because for whatever reason, but at the same time, we really, again, want to honor ourselves for the work that we're doing and honor the people that are, are there. They are where they are. So number one, so we're going, we're not going to judge them, okay? But we're going to recognize that this is this is a this is a metamorphosis. And what people when they talk about transformational work, they think that they're going to turn into somebody else. No, they're not going to turn into somebody else. They're only going to turn into themselves. So mm. um, really coming home to the self is what transformation is really. I've done a tremendous amount of, you know, all the psychological work, but a lot of spiritual work with a lot of really wonderful spiritual masters. And so, so number one, we have compassion. And number two, we have to start to look at what's the cost. What's the cost, whether it's a personal cost or a business cost, what's the cost of holding on to this old self? You know, and again, putting it in very Mm. practical terms. You know, business people talk about money. They talk about bottom line. So you want to talk their language. 
Okay, what's the cost of doing this? Okay, let's look at it. And what I like to do is uh, let's try this on. Okay, so let's we're, we're going to try on what it's like for you to stay the same. Okay, and what are the what are the what are the results that you're getting? Okay, now we're going to try on what's it like for you to step into these new shoes. And you're going to feel yourself and your authenticity and your personal power. What does that feel like? Okay, and then what new skills do you have to be able to grow into in order to actually be this person? Oh, I might have to be a hard ass. <laughs> you know, I might have <laughs> to let people go. I might have to kind of see if I can find some other places for them to be able to take their talents and, 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 and you know, so now I've got a whole bunch of other things that I might possibly do yeah. if I were to choose to become, to actually be this person. Yeah. So that, it's kind of the way, I mean, just kind of the way that mm. I would probably mm. kind of go with that level of, because I, what, what we're talking about, Mario, we're talking about resistance. So I had a very wise teacher who said, you think that your client is resistant. No, your client is just being who they are. You have to be the one to be a better teacher. You're the one that has mm. to shift and change because they're going to be who they are. All right. So as soon as I feel somebody's resistance to what I'm saying, the second, yeah. honestly, that I feel it, because I already know that if I keep going or, or even what I'm, what I'm doing is not working. <laughs> It's not working, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got to come around from another creative way. And that's when I start to ask for help. <laughs> you know, I learned what, what, what one, one teacher said, you know, um, if, I, if I knew what I was doing, <laughs> if I knew what I was gonna say, what would I say? And then I just wait for the answer. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. try this. <laughs> <laughs> Mm, I like that a lot. Let's see. I think that's, I think you're speaking into a very profound idea, which is the idea of intuition and of connecting to source, God, universe, you know, yeah. it's all labeled. So essentially the same thing. Um, but I like also how you're able to adopt like if you're not speaking the language of the the person who is receptive to who is receptive to your language you can adjust and that is something that my family has taught me to speak to become a masterful communicator because i come from a family where you know i was raised bilingual german italian and so my family lives in for lack of a better term, a, a very simple way of life, simple way of living life and a simple way of communicating things. Um, and I think maybe that might be part of the Sicilian nature of how things are communicated. And so for me, often when I was younger, I didn't feel understood. And so I had to find ways to communicate more complex subjects that I was interested in into more simple language. And, you know, just earlier today, I had a conversation with a lady, uh, uh, my tattoo artist, and she was had a, she has a thing with her boy-ish friend, if you want to call it that, an anxiety. And I, and then she had, she saw a therapist, she said, didn't help at all. And it's like, I explained her the whole situation in like 90 seconds. And she's like, oh, wow, 
Nobody has ever explained it to me in this simple, in these simple terms. And I made references to like going to a workout, going to the, you know, the gym. It's like, oh, I, I, it makes all sense now. I totally get it. And I explained to her judgment and resistance. And I feel like if you develop communicative skills, in my opinion, I'd be curious to hear your experience. It all starts with how you communicate with yourself. How much do you actually listen to yourself? Because I never used to listen to myself. I just sort of went for it. I said, like, okay, that's the way it is. You know, just go for it. My thoughts is who I am. My feelings is part of me. Oh, well, that's just what it is. And then I started to listen. I was like, wait, it's like, what's even what's going on down there? And I was, and I was like, I heard all these crazy things. I was like, oh my goodness, that's coming from down there. It's like, wow, what else is in there? And so, and at some point, also to to reference what you said earlier. Children, you know, as you said, they believe in magical thinking. I used to tell myself that w what I think is who I am. So if I think thoughts that I would determine as crazy or bad, negative, I would feel so hor horrible about myself. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm thinking that. What kind of a terrible person am I? And then I learned that thoughts are really just programs, you know, and I didn't choose to put them there. You know, I accepted them unconsciously, but I had no conversation about that. Do you choose to believe in that? No, it just happened. And so now I learned, you know, one rule of thumb for me is never argue with your own mind. So I don't even go there and go like, oh, but, you know, you should be. No, but you shouldn't. That's okay. You're a, you're a coach. You're a teacher. Oh, but you're also a student. No, I don't do any of that. I go into the body. I go into the body and I go into my body through breathing, through touch, through, you know, taking up space until I notice my mind has quieted down. And then I reevaluate the situation. It's like, what do I do? Either I choose to proceed and embrace whatever is right here in front of me, or I truly feel I'm not ready for this. I just cannot handle it in this point of time. And I'm okay with that. And I choose to go and rest and take more time for myself. It's either those two choices. So I'm curious, how do you see that? Well, I, I kind of what you just demonstrated. Okay, number one is this statement that this is just who I am. People say that all the time. This is just who I am. Mm. No, and, and kind of what you've challenged within yourself. It's not who I am. It's what I've learned. It's what I've been programmed. So it's very, mm. very important as a number one thing to, to really start to question because what we, again, what you demonstrated is this level of, what we've described earlier, you know, this is what mindfulness is. I notice in the present moment without judgment. Okay. And what you, what you talked about is I notice that my mind is doing this. Okay. Now we're raising our level of awareness. I notice, I know that if I say it once, I say it about a million times in my work, just notice. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. want you to change anything right now. I don't want you to do, I, I just want you to start to notice. Okay, because now, yeah. now it's now it's conscious. I've taken it out of the unconscious, and now it's conscious. I can see it right in front of me, and then I can choose. And you use those words. Mm -hmm. I get to choose. Okay, so being in control of your life. People think a lot of times that being in control be, means being in control of all these external things and external people and what they're doing and what we expect of them, and they're not following and they're not doing this, and it drives us crazy. Really. Yeah. But being in control of your life means being at choice. I choose. Ooh, so I good. Choose. 
So good. Mm. So here's an earthquake coming. Here's a tsunami. Here's a, a terrible, terrible things. Okay. What are my choices? I have so little choice here. But, but you know, the, uh, the man in search of meaning, the, the um, uh, Victor, Victor Frankl, Frankl, who was in the concentration camp, right? They can control everything, but they can't control my mind. Yes. This is the most powerful thing that you have. Right. So, so that's where it's in the earthquake. I haven't gotten an earthquake equipment yet. And I live in California. Look, I've lived here for nine years. I need to get the earthquake. I have not chosen yet to be responsible enough to get it. And now that we're talking about this, I'm going to make a commitment to myself to, to, to do it, to actually do it. All right. Right. Check me on it. <laughs> putting it off. But I do get to choose. So the way that I look at transformational work is like this. First, I, I think of it in three stages. I call it the three eyes. So first is the insight, right? We can't do anything without raising this level of awareness and having some level of insight into some of these patterns that we've been talking about. So I notice, I notice, I notice, I notice, I notice. Now I can pick up the patterns. I see it, oh, there it is, oh, there it is, oh, there it is, oh, there it is. Okay, now I've got that. And the next thing is implementation because now I'm, I'm learning new behaviors. So instead of doing that, I'm going to implement this new behavior. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do it over and over and over. So I'm implementing new behaviors. And over time, they become integrated. Integrated into my, into my psyche. And that's when it's just like it becomes second nature. You know, you start to feel this and you go like this. Second nature. You've already, it's integrated into yeah. your system. And that's yeah. kind of the way that I, I kind of see this process. And to respect each part of it, because one of the other great wisdoms that I learned a long time ago, and this gets us into so much trouble, is our expectations. Okay? I expect this of me. I expect that of me. I expect me to be perfect. I, okay. And yet, <laughs> I was a really, really great student, except in math. <laughs> Geometry absolutely killed me because <laughs> I do not pictures <laughs> these three-dimensional pictures in Same. my mind it was always flat surface you know i couldn't see it right <laughs> <laughs> couldn't see it tutors and everything I just, I just couldn't see it so i might expect myself to get the same a that i'm getting in everything else okay but the reality was my brain yeah. just doesn't see things like that okay so now i have yeah. to get myself over here okay so if this is the truth a truth, what's the best I can do? Mm. And, and I really can't expect myself to see like a, like a designer, you know, who, who just kind of sees mm. these pictures in their minds and makes these things. And I remember yeah. I did an aptitude test and they gave me a puzzle that had no sides to it. <laughs> and I was being timed. I said, uh, could you just give me the worst time, please? <laughs> and, and let me not have to do this. <laughs> I just... <laughs> it's not happening. Whereas my oldest son would just see the whole thing in his mind and go click, 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 click. It, it, it would be done, right? So, um, so, and, and what the expectations that we have of other people and the expectations that we have of ourselves and situations. And I guarantee every single time that 
every time that you are upset or angry or frustrated, it's because you had an expectation that was over here and the reality yes. is over here. Right? Yes. And in between is frustration and disappointment. So again, by having this level of awareness, okay, what was my expectation right now? Okay, just kind of like you said, living in this society, just dealing with charges that show up on my credit card that I didn't authorize. Or, I mean, it, it's so many times in a day, your life can get railroaded into, I call it time sucks. You know, the time, oh, this is not what I want to be doing right now, but if I don't do it, it's going to, it's going to get worse. Right. So mm. where's my expectation? My expectation is I should be or want to be doing X, Y, Z and I'm not. Okay. I'm no. frustrated. So the reality is I better deal with this and then I can move on. And this is just a very powerful thing of bringing yourself back into what's true. Yeah. So, so much of the stuff that we're talking about, um, Mario is brilliant stuff that we would love to have everybody know <laughs> because this stuff yeah. works. Yeah. You know, they say in AA, it, it works does. if you work it. This stuff works if you work. <laughs> it really and does. It really, really does. And, you know, speaking about expectations, you have definitely exceeded my expectations for this conversation. Uh, so thank you very much. And, you know, as we come to the end of the conversation, I do want to ask you, because um, I do remember that you have something that might be very interesting for anyone who's listening and who would like to dive a little deeper into Tina Greenbaum's world and benefit from the beautiful, powerful insights, tools, and, and transformations that you facilitate to reach even higher levels of performance. So what is it that, you know, you want to invite our listeners and viewers into and where can they find it? Okay. Wonderful. Thank you, Mario. This has just been wonderful. I love to talk shop. <laughs> so <laughs> this has been great. <laughs> so pressure is my, is everything that I have, it's my book. It's right behind me. You can get it on Amazon. It's a good start to this work. I've got lots of content on YouTube and, um, and Mastery Under Pressure actually is a three-month program that I, all the things that we talked about today, I teach. And so those are the two things I think the best. Just start with the book. Um, you can get in touch with me, Tina at Mastery Under Pressure and find me on LinkedIn. Same thing, Tina Greenbaum. And I'd be more than delighted to help. So thank you. Beautiful. I will be sure to add all of those links into the show notes. And I highly recommend that whoever you are, you grab the chance to connect with Tina. She's a wonderful human being. She's a, a living powerhouse that can provide you with the insights, shifts, tools that you need to reach the next level of performance in your life. And performance, not just from a place of getting results, but also from a place of feeling whole, feeling fulfilled, feeling happy uh, where you are in your life. Tina, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here on the show. Thank you very much. And I am, I get this feeling that this won't be our last conversation. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Beautiful. Alrighty. And thank you for tuning into the Zenpreneur podcast, and I will see you on the next episode.